Today on the Alt Goes Mainstream podcast, we have Matt Hogan, one of the leaders in the crypto industry. Matt has had an illustrious career at the forefront of major industry shifts in financial services. He's been a pioneer in the creation of not just one, but two major asset classes and financial products. First, ETFs, and more recently, crypto. Matt's the CIO of Bitwise Asset Management, one of the leading crypto asset investment platforms with over 500 million of AUM. Under Matt's leadership, Bitwise has pioneered the first crypto index fund and is the leading provider of rules-based exposure to the crypto space. Matt and his team have brought institutional quality frameworks and learnings from the development of other industries within financial services, like ETFs, to bear as they help institutionalize crypto and work with many RIAs, family offices, and institutional investors. Matt led the, the development of the index that underlies the Bitwise 10 Crypto Index Fund. He's also been an educator and evangelist for the crypto space to more traditional investors, and he couldn't have a better background to do this. He's able to share stories about how the ETF space evolved into an institutional investment product with over $4 trillion flowing into the asset class. He was the CEO of ETF.com, initially starting as a freelance writer and working his way up to CEO. As CEO, he helped build ETF.com into the information provider for the industry and helped guide the sale of ETF.com in three separate, highly successful transactions. He also helped create the world's first ETF ratings and analytics service, which is now powers FactSet's ETF ratings. He also co-authored the CFA Institute's monograph on ETFs and appeared three times as a member of the Barron's ETF Roundtable. In 2016, ETF.com was acquired by Informa, where Matt joined their team to extend inside ETF's position as the largest ETF conference in the world. He's been a pioneer in both the ETF and crypto worlds and sees the exciting opportunity in all different alt-asset classes. It's always fun to talk with Matt. He's such a thoughtful and intellectual guy who can live in both worlds of traditional finance and crypto. On today's podcast, we talk about Matt's views on crypto and how Bitwise is bringing crypto to the wealth advisory community, how crypto's evolution is similar to that of the ETF market, and how community has played such a big role in making crypto go mainstream. We're going mainstream. Matt, welcome to the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. <laughs> Thanks so much. I'm delighted to be here. No, it's gr great to have you. What a fascinating time for crypto. An amazing year, an amazing month. Every week feels like a month. It is an incredible time for crypto right now. It really is. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Bitwise and what you're doing at Bitwise. Sure. So Bitwise is a specialist crypto asset manager. We started in the market in 2017. We're best known for having created the first and today running the largest crypto index fund, which is the Bitwise 10. People talk about it as the S&P 500 of crypto, which is an exaggeration, but approximately correct, right? It holds the 10 largest crypto assets which is about 80% of the market, we're fairly unique in crypto in that we're focused on financial advisors. One curious thing about crypto is you have a huge part of the industry focused on the largest institutions, Andreessen uh, Horowitz selling into endowments and foundations. You have a very robust industry, Coinbase, Kraken, et cetera, focused on retail investors. 
But you and I know a lot of the wealth in America is controlled by financial advisors and family offices and multifamily offices. And so Bitwise was created to serve them. So we have that flagship index fund. We have a Bitcoin only fund. We have an Ethereum only fund. We just launched a DeFi index fund that we're very excited about. And we're trying to be, uh, to, to put a geeky phrase on it, the premier provider of beta to the crypto industry. So boring crypto, if you can conjoin those two words. Well, for, it sounds like for the, the community that you're trying to serve, that's exactly what it should be. And that community should also have access to crypto. So how do you go about explaining why and how people should have access to crypto to the financial advisor community? Yeah, I think there are two ways to answer the, the, the question of why. The first is what it is. And so we spend a huge amount of time talking to financial advisors about what crypto really is. They have this view, the original sin of crypto was they labeled it cryptocurrency. They have this view that they should be using Bitcoin to buy mocha frappuccinos at Starbucks. And we have to break that view and then explain to them about crypto and blockchain being the technology that allows money and items of financial value to move over the internet. In the same way, VOIP let voice move over the internet, SSL let commerce move over the internet, HTTP allowed the web to exist. We're continually unlocking these news parts of the internet, and crypto is what unlocks money and finance, which happens to be a fairly large market. And that's why crypto is up 43 million percent over the last 10 years, and also why when it falls, as it does periodically, it's very volatile, it's always bounced back because it's a fundamental technological advance. So that's the first thing we tell them. And then the second thing you tell them is if you took this asset and remove the label crypto, remove the label Bitcoin from it. And you just looked at an asset that had high potential returns, low correlations with everything else, and was liquid and accessible to you as a retail investor on the same terms as the Harvard endowment, of course you would want it in your portfolio because those are fundamentally f amazing portfolio characteristics. They're really hard to find. As you've, as you've talked about democratizing alts, this is an example of an alt it has alt-like return characteristics, and it's liquid and accessible. So let's get it in a portfolio. Let's get it appropriately sized. And that's what we try to do. How important is it in your mind for the investors you're working with to actually understand the mechanics of crypto versus understanding exactly what you're talking about, kind of the investment profile and considerations of the asset itself? You know, they should be able to just consider the asset uh, as an asset and evaluate it in their portfolio. But the thing about crypto, which is, I think, unmistakably true and important to remember, is that people's view of crypto are often anchored in the past. And it's anchored on things like Mt. Gox, and it's anchored on things like Silk Road, and it's anchored on its history of sort of anarchic criminal activity even. Right? They have this view that's so far afield from an asset that today is owned by insurance companies like Mass Mutual, an asset that today BlackRock is allocating to. So you have to give them some understanding of why it's important, some understanding of why a blockchain is an interesting database design that introduces new capabilities to the world, but you don't have to go so far. They don't have to understand what mining is. They don't have to understand what SHA-256 algorithms are. They don't understand what, what optical networking is, and yet they invest in the internet. They have to understand at the core why it does something that's never been done before, why it's not just a spreadsheet that someone created out of thin air, why it's a major computer science advance. And then once they get comfortable with that, then the portfolio characteristics make a lot of sense. I think what you're talking about is really interesting because you're kind of like 
a, a defining example of the bridge between traditional finance and crypto. You were one of uh, the earlier people from traditional finance to make the move into crypto. I've actually heard from many people saying that, oh, wow, Matt Hogan went to Bitwise and went to crypto. That's a big deal for the industry because we, we knew him as the ETF guy. What did you see in crypto that made you want to make the jump from traditional finance into the crypto space? That's a great question. Think about ETFs, which people don't recognize today because they're the mother's milk of investing and however many trillions of dollars of assets, is they used to be this little area of finance that no one understood, that people called EFTs, that people didn't know how they work, or they were skeptical of. The Financial Times ran articles that said ETFs were weapons of mass destruction. You may remember... Congress held hearings about ETFs destroying the American entrepreneurial experience and hoisted people from iShares onto diocese and yelled at them about how terrible these ETFs were. And so I've seen a market that was an interesting technological advance, but was poorly understood with poor quality information and where people were aggressively aligned against it because it challenged a legacy financial system move from that to something that's completely normalized and completely understood and beloved. And crypto just had a lot of similarities. It was this market where Warren Buffett and others said it would never amount to anything. It was a market where the quality of information was terrible. It was the land of hyperbole. Either crypto was the greatest thing since sliced bread, or Charlie Munger described it as akin to trading freshly harvested baby brains, which is fairly extreme. And so I saw a market where maybe... If you could get in there and provide some core education about what was really interesting about this technological advance and how this might play out in the future, you could start to see it move from this outsider perspective to something more mainstream. And the the amazing thing is it's happened much faster than I ever predicted. We're right now entering that mainstream moment with the level of uh, acceleration and velocity that is sort of breathtaking to behold. So it's fun to see the parallels. Yeah. So on, on that point, what, what are some of the lessons that you've learned from the ETF industry that you think can be applied to the crypto space? Yeah. Core education is really important. I swear I gave the ETFs 101 presentation 13,000 times at conferences large and small. And that needs to happen in the crypto industry as well. And, and I've been giving that presentation over and over again. So that's important. The other one is if you can find these technological improvements that are real and have real distinguishing characteristics, and crypto has a handful of those. The idea of digital property rights is a really important idea. The idea of being able to move a billion dollars and have it settle almost instantly instead of taking two days is a really important idea. The idea of being able to program money like software is a really important idea. And if you can see a market where we've already gone from zero to one in those capabilities, often one to 100 is way easier. So back up to ETFs, the first ETFs were not perfect. They were hard to trade. People didn't know how to trade them. They didn't fit into reporting systems. The spreads were a mile wide, but they had a few distinguishing characteristics that made them better than mutual funds in interesting ways. And you could imagine a future where they came to be truly mainstream. I think it's important for crypto to realize that That's the same thing. You have zero to one achieved. We're going from one to 100. It takes significant education. It takes multiple different counterparties, but it can happen. It can happen 
even faster than you might think. We've seen ETFs go through that evolution where now they are truly a mainstream asset. They're distributed by many of the largest product manufacturers. And then the wealth advisory community, which you work with at Bitwise, is also a big consumer of ETFs. How do you think about what you saw in terms of distribution of product in the ETF space and how and when will crypto be able to mirror some of that? That's a great question. It's happening now. So for a long time, crypto wasn't ready for that distribution. There weren't qualified custodians in the space. The the trading ecosystem was not very robust. There still weren't uh, well-established funds. And even today, we're not all the way there. There's no Bitcoin ETF yet in the US. There is one in Canada now. There is one in Europe now. There is one in Switzerland now. There's no Bitcoin ETF in the U.S. There's no other crypto asset ETFs even on the horizon in the U.S. And we all know there's more to crypto than just Bitcoin. So we have product issues. I think you just have to realize it's hand-to-hand comment. I joke with people, before the pandemic, Bitwise was on the road hosting lunches at Capital Grills with 12 advisors talking about crypto. And the idea that the future of crypto is being built at Capital Grill over salmon lunches is not something that I think is broadly appreciated in the crypto ecosystem. But financial advisors in that RA market control a huge chunk of wealth. And if crypto is going to achieve its goals, all those people have to be educated and come over uh, their sort of anchoring biases and be willing to accept the market. Now, I think we're getting there. Just in the last week, we saw BNY Mellon announce it's moving into the crypto space. Deutsche Bank is building a custodian. Yeah, Visa and MasterCard are investing. Every major asset manager is looking at the market. We'll get there, but it takes a while. It takes on-the-road education. It takes some really boring stuff to make it happen. Just to put some numbers in context, just in the U.S. alone, the dollars housed in the wealth management space is about $10 trillion. So just imagine a few percentage points of that, a few hundred basis points going over into crypto. What will that do to the space? (laughs) <laughs> it, will inc- it, will, it will dramatically uh, increase the space. It will dramatically increase the valuations. And the interesting reflexive piece about crypto, which is also true about ETFs, incidentally, is as it gets larger, it actually gets more useful and better. As it gets larger, the network's become more secure. As it gets larger, the liquidity improves. As it gets larger, the regulation improves. As it gets larger, uh, its utility in, in the sort of the, the external world improves. So the the onboarding of those investors into the space will achieve all those goals. It'll drive down the volatility, most likely, and and crypto will move forward. Eventually, it's going to be widespread and owned by virtually, or at least considered by all investors as a potential asset. So you mentioned the retail investors have their on-ramps with brokerage firms like Coinbase, et cetera. Institutions are many cases going direct and then just working with a qualified custodian, whether it's like an Anchorage or a Fidelity or maybe even Coinbase custody, you're really targeting that kind of middle market. Talk about why Bitwise is so critical to the crypto industry as an on-ramp and then how you think about that in the context of product structuring and product creation. Yeah, I think I think we're critical because we're focused on that market and we're willing to do the education. We're willing to do webinars. It just came off a webinar with 1,300 advisors answering the 13 hardest FUD questions in crypto. Like, why does it have any value? Will government regulate it out of existence? Is Tether manipulating crypto? We're structured to educate that market. And we have traditional funds that fit into people's workflow. We have funds that have tax support from reputable tax providers and issue simple K-1s. We have one fund that trades on the OTC market 
Uh, it can trade at premiums and discounts, but that can fit into traditional advisor workflows. We're working to get our private funds piping through advisor work systems. We understand sort of the interior plumbing that these advisors need to bring crypto into client portfolios. And then from a product structuring perspective, the important thing to realize is for most advisors and for most investors, crypto is a small allocation. It's a zero to 5% allocation. And for someone allocating zero to 5% to a given asset class, they can't be expected to take the time to continually monitor which asset is doing well. Where is the developer activity? Is Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash ascended? What about Litecoin? What about these new DeFi assets? Is Uniswap a real thing or is the $30 billion of trading volume on them fictional? And they don't want to underwrite a single bet. They don't even want to just bet on Bitcoin. It's the most established. But is it the future? Will it hold the store of value space? Or will we want a, a less carbon intensive store of value? The beauty of an index-based approach, the reason we chose an index-based approach is you don't have to worry about that. You just have to make one bet. And the bet is that crypto will be more important in the future than it is today. And then the index takes care of dynamically adjusting and reconstitutes every month. And it goes into the index design. A lot of people wondered why we did an uncapped index. Bitcoin is 75% of our index. Because anytime you move away from a capped index, you violate that core rule, which is, I want to do well if crypto is more important in the future than it is today. The only way to sort of approximately be sure that that is true is to have a market cap weighted index based approach. And so that's what we've designed to do. They're great active managers out there. Some people will love them. They're investors who want to bet on ETH and not on Bitcoin. That's great. We even provide products in that space. But for most people, I think an index based strategy is is the best approach for what is a small allocation. Yeah, well, particularly for the wealth advisory community that you're talking about, whether it's crypto or other assets, they generally don't want to pick single assets uh, because it's time intensive. Their job is to really build their business and, and help preserve their clients' wealth. That makes a ton of sense. The other question there is, how do you think about making a case for where this goes in a client's portfolio? Yeah, that's a great question. Most of the clients that we have, it slots into the alternative sleeve. And it slots into the alternative sleeves because it has those characteristics of high potential returns and low correlations to other assets. We see clients who don't have alternative sleeves, and there's certainly some advisors who don't, drawing down on the equity part of their portfolio and putting crypto into there because it has a high risk profile. But mostly it fits into this alternative sleeve. Some people have it in an absolute return sleeve. Some people are developing, it's sort of in vogue now, an inflation hedging sleeve as that becomes more of art. It can fit into all of those. I think of it as an alt. It's an accessible alt, which is a very exciting area and one where a lot of people are focused right now. Are people generally taking percentage points of allocation out of their hedge fund or private equity allocations within the alt bucket to then put it into crypto or some other alt, maybe whether it's art, et cetera, and putting it into crypto? Or are they really adding to the alts pie, if you are the alts portion of the pie? I mostly see people adding to the alts portion of the pie is the honest truth. There are a lot of people who are frustrated and or worried about the long-term returns that are facing stocks and bonds for reasons that are obvious. High valuations and low interest rates make those difficult. So they're increasing their alt sleeve. We definitely see people taking out of their hedge fund exposure. We see people taking it out of their crypto hedge fund exposure, which is an interesting trend. Some of the early people who made allocations to crypto hedge funds because they felt safe underwriting 
well-known VCs or well-known hedge funds are now saying, well, you know, I could just get this in a beta format with liquidity and get similar returns. It's, it's a mix, but I do see a lot of people thinking about expanding their alts portfolio. That's a trend that I've noticed uh, among the advisor crowd that's been building for the last you know, couple of years. And is this generally advisors who are saying we need to allocate a portion of our clients' assets to crypto? Or is this really being driven by the client side where these clients are saying, hey, we need to have some crypto in our portfolio. You as advisors, you have to help me figure this out. It used to be driven primarily by investors asking advisors, but now that's started to shift. Now that we've had more sort of uh, big name conversions into crypto, now that we have Paul Tudor Jones and Stan Druckenmiller allocating to crypto and BlackRock allocating to crypto, some of it's coming from advisor top down. But I'll, I'll give you a few stats we do a survey each year, financial advisors. Our most recent one had 1,000 people on it. These are mostly RAAs. So this is real numbers. 78% got at least one question from a client about crypto in the past year. 9% of the people said they were allocating to crypto and client accounts, which was up 50% from the year before. And an additional 17% said they plan to allocate in this year. So it's becoming more mainstream. There is a push from clients. I worry a lot about advisor clients who have, say, $100,000 of, of money in Coinbase on their cell phone. We also hear a lot of soft stories about people having their phone SIM hacked and losing that money and looking for an institutionally managed alternative. So there could be a bunch of different drivers of demand. What would be the case for that? Just so people understand why they should work with an investment platform like Bitwise or, or others. Well, the, the thing to understand about crypto is it's more like cash than a debit card. If I have a $100 bill and someone takes it, it's gone. I never see it again. If I have a debit card and someone steals it and rings up charges, I can get those charges reversed. That's part of the beauty of the legacy financial system is that you can get those charges reversed. Crypto is more like cash. If somebody steals it, it's gone. And one thing about keeping it on a retail brokerage app that's on your phone is if somebody hacks into your phone, if someone SIM hacks it by going to the T-Mobile store and pretending to be you and getting the SIM reset, by some worker who just got on the job there a few weeks ago, which can happen, you can lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's not Coinbase's fault, and they're not going to make you whole. It's not Kraken's fault, and they're not going to make you whole. And we, we have multiple clients who lost uh, multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars. The difference when you come to a firm like Bitwise or one of our competitors is that we're storing assets with a third-party regulated custodian who has insurance in place, we have best practices from a security standpoint. And, and so you don't have that same sort of personal security loss. Now, are there ways to own crypto that's cheaper than working with Bitwise? There absolutely are. Uh, and if you're extremely diligent and extremely organized and feel comfortable being solely responsible for the security protocols to manage that, that's a good solution for you. But if you're like me and you're liable to leave your winter coat in the restaurant after you eat, uh, you really shouldn't be doing that. And you should be working with, with someone like Bitwise. That's a very good reason to pay a little bit of an insurance policy for the ability for those assets to be safeguarded. But I think we're actually hitting on a really interesting topic here, which is the kind of nature of crypto being self-directed versus going through an intermediary. As investors get younger, as clients of wealth advisors get younger, whether it's because they made money in technology, whether it's because they made money in crypto, 
Do you think they will continue to invest in a self-directed way and they'll want to invest into things like crypto in a self-directed way? Or do you think they'll actually want to work with an advisor or work with a platform that will do it in a more passive way rather than a self-directed or active way as we've seen this younger generation think about investing? Oh, that's a great question. That's a $50,000 question. And and I don't know quite where I stand. I think the percentage of people who want to do it in a self-directed way will grow from a very low base that it is today as the population who's grown up used to that ages and as the tools that allow you to do that improve. But despite that, for two reasons, I think a lot of those people will turn to a financial advisor to help manage their wealth in a more hands-off way. The two reasons are people have better things to do with their time. Crypto is a 24-7, 365 thing. My wife wants to kill me Because half the time we'll be out at like the shopping store and some news will break and we'll have to have an emergency index committee meeting to decide if we have to make an action in the portfolio. Uh, But I have to do that because that's my duty to the customers that are involved in our product. A lot of people who have made a lot of money don't want to do that while they're shopping at Whole Foods or whatever. They want to be able to live their lives and let other people do it. But the other reason, which is really important, is that the behavioral risk that attends a volatile asset like crypto is huge. This is a market that's up big, that's down big. In the last three years, it's had, I think it's six 30% plus pullbacks, one 80% plus pullback. Now it's up 3,000% over that time period. If you have a stomach of steel and can stand that, more power to you. But most people, I think, suffer from the same behavioral faults as the rest of us. And when they see the market crashing, they lose confidence and are liable to sell at the wrong time. And putting that in the hands of a a traditional advisor who can look at this with like CFA style hat on and say, no, actually, you should be increasing your allocation now to make sure it stays in line with our target. And then when it runs up as it has, you should be thinking about rebalancing down and selling it, which is exactly counter. So I think people who, who work with advisors, even though there's a fee involved and work with centralized counterparties are going to end up better off because the behavioral outcomes are just going to be so much better. So that's actually, I think, a really interesting segue into this current time in crypto. So we have seen this huge run up in prices. Just in October, the price was $12,000 for price of Bitcoin. Now it's $52,000. How many assets are appreciating that much? We're talking about venture-like multiples in the span of months, not years. Like you said, crypto has gone up massive amounts. So why is this time different than 2017 bubble where and in early 2018, we went through what, what many people call a crypto winter. Yeah, well, I, I think it's different for a few reasons. Uh, one reason it's not different is there could be a very volatile period in our future. I don't know if there will be. I don't know if it's more likely to go to 100,000 before it goes to 10,000. But the volatility that we've seen, although it's declining over time, is still very high. So we should say up front, there's no guarantee the bull run will continue. There's a lot of risk in it. But it is a very different market than it was in 2017. And it's a very different market because uh, uh, it's become an institutional market. And that's important in two ways. So the first way, just to be very simple about it, is it's become a two-sided market. In 2017, it was really hard to short Bitcoin. There was no futures market. The lending markets weren't really developed. It was essentially a one-sided market. And one-sided markets have a tendency to have outrageous returns for a short period of time and then pull back. There is now the largest single market for Bitcoin in the U.S. is the CME regulated Bitcoin futures market, which is trading $4 billion a day. It is a very much a two-sided market. So there have been people who have been shorting this run-up 
which wasn't the case in 2017. I think that's important. The other reason is we have a different class of investors involved. So in 2017, it was really all retail, really all retail. And the behavioral risk that attends retail is very different from the one that held intense institutions. It was also one type of investor. Now, Mass Mutual bought $100 million of Bitcoin. My guess is that'll be there in 100 years. I don't think they were making a short-term allocation. They were making a very long-term allocation. MicroStrategy is not about to sell its Bitcoin, I don't think. The Grayscale product, which holds like $30 billion of Bitcoin, doesn't have a redemption feature. So they're very different long-term oriented holders. There's still, of course, the retail follow-ons, which make it volatile, but it is a very different, more robust, more institutional market than it was three years ago. Do you think the institutional demand is real and that will support continued price appreciation over time? Obviously, there may be volatility in between, but if corporates or institutional investors want to have some exposure to Bitcoin and they truly believe it's a few hundred thousand dollar asset because it still is relative to gold, smaller in terms of overall market cap. Is this institutional demand real based on what you're seeing? I think it is real. And I think it'll intensify if concerns about inflation and concerns about the dollar persist. I personally think those concerns will persist and intensify. And as a result, I think it's very real. If those go away, some of that institutional interest will go away as well. I like to say that I think the price of Bitcoin is wrong. I don't know what it should be, but I think it's wrong. There's a world in which the world doesn't care about a a, a digital non-sovereign store of value and where it never penetrates retail use. And the price should be like a thousand bucks, should be like a plaything. And then there's a world that that you just described where institutions want it on their balance sheet long term and not just a few leading institutions, but broad based. And in that world, the price is not $50,000, it's significantly higher. So I think the price is wrong. I think the institutional demand is real. And as I said, if inflationary concerns and dollar concerns continue, I think it will will intensify. Is that, in your mind, one of the big milestones for the crypto industry? So if you think about some of these things that like next set of proof points that make crypto feel even more real and legitimized to investors or people writ large, is it what would happen with interest rates and inflation? What are some other things in terms of other investors coming in that make this just big milestones that people should be looking out for? Yeah, I think that's great. A a few that I throw out there, some of them are access points. I do think the launch of an ETF will be a big milestone. If you look back, even at the price of gold, uh, the price of gold run up in the 2000s was timed close to around the launch of an ETF because it enabled more people to access it uh, more easily. So whether it's large institutions or it's financial advisors, The continued progress toward more efficient products, I think, is something worth watching. Another thing worth watching, I think Coinbase's IPO. Coinbase is supposed to IPO in April. It's currently valued at $77 billion. It'll eventually be in the S&P 500. Every institutional investor will have exposure to crypto at that moment from an equity perspective. And people will start to see the, the realness of the money being generated in this economy and the realness of the interest. Coinbase has more users then Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, E-Trade, and Interactive Brokers combined. Most people don't know that because it's outside of their sort of core purview. So I think those are two things. And then every time we get more news of traditional investors allocating into Bitcoin, it still matters. So BlackRock coming in and beginning to dabble, to use their words, is important. World's largest asset manager. And we're still at the phase where as we see more of that happen, I think that'll be important if we see 
Twitter and Apple and other companies put it on their balance sheet, I think that will be important as well. So it sounds like all, all the things you're saying are things that would make this even more mainstream as an asset. And then to your point about Coinbase, if people who are buying Bitcoin on or buying crypto on Coinbase can now invest in it themselves, just like they could invest in any bank where they're an account holder, that starts to mainstream the asset class and the space even more. Yeah, and just opens their eyes, right? Its current valuation is higher than Goldman Sachs, Coinbase. I don't think most people know that. I don't think most financial advisors know what Coinbase is. If it is, they think it's like an app on their phone, like Grubhub. They don't realize that this is a financial institution with millions of customers that's valued higher than Goldman Sachs. And I think that will open people's eyes to the reality of this economy. And it's not just going to be them. I think there are a handful of crypto unicorns that are going to come public in the next year. Uh, and it's just going to be increasingly on the mainstream. And that's before we get to the next layer of things like decentralized finance, which has only been used as a term in the Wall Street Journal four times in history. It's still so early in these other really exciting areas. So there's also this whole second story of crypto that I think is going to come along soon. Well, on that point, do you think that there will be a blending of crypto with mainstream finance? Coinbase, if they have more brokerage accounts than Schwab, Fidelity, TD, et cetera, what if they just offered traditional equities or brokerage trading? They could become a traditional financial services firm as well. Or do you think there will be a whole separate economy of DeFi or decentralized finance where people just start to migrate their entire financial lives and the way they think about investing over to the DeFi world rather than have this blending of the two worlds? I think it's going to be more of a blending. I talk about it being the blood-brain barrier in crypto, right, between the crypto economy and, and the rest of the economy. Uh, and I think we're going to start to see that blend in both directions. I think we already are. I think Coinbase could easily look to expand into other assets. I think we could see tokenized versions of those assets be traded in a more efficient fashion. And at the same time, you have traditional finance coming in and trying to penetrate this space, not to beat a horse we've already beaten, but it, it ties back to the ETF industry. The ETF industry had aspects of both of that. You both had entirely new companies emerge that are institutionally significant. iShares, now part of BlackRock, but really emerged from a very small Wells Fargo Nico. Uh, operation into an institutional giant. You had Wisdom Tree emerge, you had ETC Securities emerge, but you also had traditional finance trying to penetrate their way in. And I think you're going to see that kind of two-way flow in the crypto economy as well over the next couple of years. Do you think that we can take a lot of lessons learned from traditional markets and the evolution of those market structures? So like equity market infrastructure, the way that's evolved, and that is that kind of how crypto is going to go in that respect? Uh, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. In the way that, that it's no, traditional market infrastructure evolves at the pace of like a snail. It's unbelievable that we're still settling stocks in two days. It's absurd. What takes two days? Nothing takes two days. We can have a free video conference call with someone in Kuala Lumpur and someone else in South Africa and someone in Brazil for free on my phone. And it takes two days to settle a stock. We still have all stocks being held in kind at one company, Seed and Company in New York. It's absolutely mind blowing. So the, the crypto market infrastructure will evolve much quicker, I think, than we've seen of the legacy financial ecosystem. But I, I do think we'll see crypto replications of every part of what's happening in the traditional financial ecosystem. We already see it, custodians, we see it, exchanges. I think you'll see synthetics and, and derivatives emerge 
I don't know if we'll see the sort of integrated consolidated tape and, and NBBO that you see in traditional equity markets. I don't know if we'll get there, but maybe through sort of decentralized apps. Well, one thing that's been so interesting about crypto's evolution is that it actually started as a retail phenomenon first unlike many other asset classes. So this was really the first asset where the individual retail investor was at the same exact spot on the starting line to wealth creation that an institutional investor was. And in many respects, they actually made a lot more money than many institutions have because they got involved earlier. So what are your thoughts on this and what that means for the asset class? First of all, it's so great. It brings me great joy. I should just say that from the beginning. It's nice to see the early retail investor win for once. It's also still true. It is organically true to this day that you as an individual can have the same access to Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other assets as the largest institutions in the world. And that's an incredible fact. You get exposure to assets that have just emerged, almost like a VC investor would, and it's open. It's such a beautiful fact, and it it remains true today. I think it's indicative of where the market is going. I, I think there is a broad democratization going on as it becomes easier to onboard a broader array of investors into new projects and new products. And I think crypto is an early example, and I hope, I hope it extends. Those people should have the ability to evaluate new ideas and invest in them early instead of missing out on having the largest institutions get blind So I think this is a really interesting segue into the, the fact that crypto has created the mind space for people to think of other alts as possibly following a similar trajectory. We've talked about this before, but there's other alt alts, whether it's trading cards, whether it's collectibles, whether it's art, wine, whatever, digital, digital collectibles, NFTs, NBA Top Shot. So in your mind, what alt alts are next and which ones look like they'll have the potential to mirror crypto's rise? Oh, that's a great question. I think all of them are next uh, is my short answer. So I, I think we're going to get liquid access to alts in a, a meaningful way. And, and it's so easy to see all the interesting companies that are working in this space right now that are starting to make that reality. And it's interesting to see it start to penetrate mainstream conversations, whether that's Masterworks, who's been at it for a long time on the art side, or it's Top Shot, or it's NFTs, uh, or it's trading cards, where that market has really started to professionalize in an interesting way. These are phenomenal investments with phenomenal attributes that fit well from a classical portfolio design perspective that have been unavailable to most investors because they can't allocate to a Honus Wagner baseball card in their portfolio because it would be their portfolio. It's too valuable, but now they can at a much smaller, much more liquid level. The the lesson from crypto that I do think is valid uh, and probably will apply here is that tribalism and community will matter a lot. Uh, One of the reasons crypto took off and escaped from its unlikely to beginning to what it is today is that it had this ardent group of believers who believed in it as a technology, but also because it has its attributes of libertarian ideals, privacy rights, etc. And they were willing to invest in it when it was imperfect until it got to today. And that'll be true in alts. And the beautiful thing about alts is there's so many tribes and sub-communities in alts that really care deeply about basketball or soccer or art or wine or, or NFTs. And so all those areas where there's that passion can give it the catalyst to get to the point where it becomes interesting to professional investors, which is which is sort of the big challenge. That's a great point. That's actually one of the things I wanted us to be able to talk about, because to your point, like 
crypto is in many respects a community and it's been i think niraj agrawal from the coin center talked about like a bunch of nerds have memed a global reserve currency into existence which is incredible when you think about it. he tweeted that out i think it was last year um so how do you think about that in the context of crypto but then other assets how do these other assets get the same fandom or tribalism that crypto has gotten first of all it's so true and this is one of the reasons why many investors refuse to accept that crypto is real and will have a place in the future because it's so unlikely that it would exist today. It had all these existential threats at the beginning. There was no reason for anyone to waste money and energy on this thing that was not valuable. And then there was no reason for real liquidity pools to develop. And then there was there's no reason for initial use cases to develop. And it only came to exist. I'd add there was no reason for there to be enough computing power focused on it for it to be safe and secure and not subject to government seizure until it became valuable. And the only reason it got that escape velocity was because of this community passion. And I think that that was actually true of ETFs. ETF people won't tell you this, but initially ETFs were terrible. They traded at Lamborghini sized spreads. They were illiquid. They traded by appointment. When the AP went to lunch, the, the spread would widen out and then it would wait till he got back from his sandwich to come back in. They were not good products. They only become really great products when they're large and liquid and efficient. And you need something that catalyzes you to go from that awkward zero to at least one or two. And that's what crypto had. And I think that's going to be really important for these other alts. So if you have a community, even if you're building a financial platform to support that community, you need to think about what is the information data and architecture that can get those people excited about it? Does there need to be a conference about it? Should you be doing clubhouses about it? How do you get that into the broad media? That is actually systematically important for it to achieve the kind of scale at which point professional investors can take it and run with it. Because until it gets to that level of liquidity and acceptance, you're not going to get the big money coming in, which is what everyone wants. So that's a really interesting point in terms of it needs to get to acceptance from large institutional investors. They need to understand why and how it, there's there's a movement here, but it also needs to be institutionalized and mainstream enough for them to do it. But I want to go back to the point about this being a community and this being something that people really care about. Because so Jeff Lewis from Bedrock Capital actually last week, I think, actually said on Twitter that he said Bitcoin's the first financial asset that's a religion. That's a pretty provocative statement. And I know you went to a Quaker school, which it pains me to say this because it said, well, it was the rival school to Georgetown Day School, but it's okay. We can still have some Sidwell friends, people on the podcast. But re- religions obviously they create community and they create a shared story, but at their extreme, they create cults. In your view, is Bitcoin or crypto, is it a religion? And if so, is that a good thing for institutional investors? Oh, that that is a phenomenal question. The the short answer, it, it has that risk. And there's certainly crypto assets out there that are religions. And it forces it into very challenging questions where you don't know the outcome. So as an example, A lot of where Bitcoin came from was out of concerns about privacy. And privacy is being curtailed in the crypto market right now because of AML KYC concerns. And you need aggressive AML KYC if this is going to be an institutional asset. But in putting those AML KYCs in place, you forfeit the sort of original commandment of Bitcoin, which was this love of privacy. And there's a real tension in the community about which of those two paths it should go down. There are people who hate the idea of firms like Bitwise making this normalized for professional investors because you're forsaking 
those early stages. And so the difference between is it a cult is does it follow the path to become institutionally significant or does it follow this purism, this purity path where it holds on to crypto originalism? And there are elements of both in the crypto community. That's one of the reasons you see forks. Bitcoin Cash can be thought of as a fork of Bitcoin that's dedicated to Bitcoin originalism. It won't adopt and, 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 and advance with new changes. And, and, that, and so I think it's a phenomenal way to think about it. And that's how I think about whether it's, it's a religion or a cult, is whether it can reflect what's going on in broader society and evolve, or if it stays just isolationist and absolutist. Interesting. Interesting. So I always wrap up podcasts by asking everyone what's their most interesting alt investment idea. It could be a fund. It could be a company. It could be a crypto token. Really, whatever you think is most interesting, exciting investment you've made or haven't made. But what's your favorite or most interesting alt investment idea? Do one throwaway. I really love our decentralized finance index fund. That's a self-promotional item. But DeFi, I would encourage everyone to read about it. It's one of the most exciting things I've ever touched this early. But I'll say this. One thing I would love to see someone do who isn't Bitwise is you look at something like GBTC, which has taken Bitcoin and made it available through the OTC markets. And I would love to see people think about, can you apply that to other fungible assets? Could you have a Picasso that was trading on the OTC market? Could you have a portfolio of trading cards that was trading on the OTC market in some sort of closed-end style trust? I think that would be really interesting and phenomenal if I weren't helping to build uh, a crypto asset manager, I would be doing that. So I, I hope someone does. Well, I will say this, that there's a lot of innovation happening in the card space, the art space, in the NFT space. So maybe your wish will come true. Let's see Let's see what happens. Hopefully this request for startup is put out to the world and they hear Matt's great idea here. So thanks for having us on the Altco's Mainstream Podcast. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to this episode of Altco's Mainstream. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites, and you can read more about alts at my Substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com, and follow me on Twitter at, at Michael Stigmore and at GoesAlt. Thanks a lot, and have a great day. We're going